0: Welcome back to The Chosen Life. Folks, we are in for a treat today. I've hinted at you in the past that we're gonna have a very special guest. I manifested this for close to three years, actually. If you looked under the dictionary, under superstar, you would see a certain person's smiling face. This is the one, the only, Sam McDaddy. Sam, welcome to The Chosen Life. It's an honor to be here. With your busy schedule I got to tell you, I was really, really happy that we were able to put the time together. We're in your beautiful office today in Mississauga, one of the the offices, I got to say. But as I'm starting this off, first and foremost, I got to tell you, I'm a little unhappy with you because I spent spent the last two days perfectly coordinating an outfit for you, Sam. Like, I don't know how you put your outfits together, but for me, it starts from the shoes up. I I plan the shoes and I plan the outfit accordingly. I said to myself, if I'm going to be meeting Sam McDaddy, I know I got to wear red. And I know he's a basketball fan. I'm a big Jordan 1 guy. That's pretty much all I wear. So I dug them up. The Jordan 1 breads. I said, these are red. This is going to be the shoe for Sam. It's going to match the (laughs) mug. And then you come in and you threw me for a loop. You're wearing blue today. What happened? Full of
1: surprises. Full of surprises. You know, every day I don't know what I'm going to wear. So I just kind of randomly, I think I'm going to wear blue today. And then I actually go top, bottom. So I do it a little differently.
0: So shoes are last. So try to match shoes based on the outfit. So, yeah. It's all good. It's all good. But when I walk into the office, I see a lot of red files. I see the red mugs. The red is definitely in the branding. Got to ask you, why the color red? It's always my favorite color. And I think when
1: we got together, our branding manager, he came up with red, white, and black. And those colors really resonated. So for me, I just, I love red. and It's always been a color I'm passionate about as well.
0: Beautiful. Funny enough, my favorite color is blue. And it's royal blue. <laughs> okay. And in our branding for Corman's LLP as our law firm, everything is in the blue or the whites. So you're wearing the Corman's colors today. So I'm wearing your colors. You're wearing my colors. So maybe that was a subconscious <laughs> item. Uh, we had spoken before many times through our transactions. Corman's LLP has been working with your office. Uh, we were talking off air, but Jerry Corman, you know, started the practice back in the 70s. You closed many transactions together. that we hadn't met face to face. But it's a very, very small community. Very early on, so we actually got reintroduced. You and I through Nikki Singh at your office. Nikki's amazing, by the way. Loved working with her in the past, and Nikki helped arrange Rangers. So a big shout out to Nikki Singh for making this happen. Yeah, Nikki's
1: awesome. I've known her for decades, and I'm glad she made this connection for us. Yeah,
0: it's and you know it's, you th- you, th- you think about it, and time goes by, but if you, you you plan it enough and you manifest enough, good things will happen. So let that be a lesson to all of you. I knew I was going to meet Sam, and here we are. Sam, I got to tell you in this office, this is my second time here. I'm really impressed as far as the layout, everything. Again, we talked a little bit about this off camera, but you know, you go to the reception area, you walk through with the chandeliers in the bathroom. If I'm a client meeting you, meeting your office, meeting your people for the first time, I'm going to take a wild guess and say this was intentionally designed. There's a certain branding image we're looking for. Would I be off base here?
1: No, that's correct. All our offices, we really want to create a certain feel. So when clients come in, they feel welcoming. They feel that we've put the effort to create a really good environment and atmosphere. And all our offices have a different feel, but they're all, I think, really elegant and beautiful.
0: Well, and you've done a really nice job with them, honestly. I got to tell you, because if I'm planning to build a house... I would come to you, I say, listen, I know that you sell homes. I know you're familiar with homes. I would hire you as my designer because certainly everything is always first class from a marketing standpoint, A plus to your team. And there really, there is a full team, right? This is not Sam doing every single aspect of the size No, not at all. We'll probably get into that later on, but the team is such an important element for our success. So let's start first and foremost. I know you've done enough interviews. I'm sure you've heard it all, seen all, but there are some things that have always kind of slipped in my mind. So I'm going to spread them out throughout the interview today. One of the first things is, I got to know, Sam McDaddy growing up, when you were a young boy going through grade school, what did you think, like grade two, grade three, grade four, what did you think you were going to be when you grew up?
1: You know, it's interesting, and I've shared this with a few friends, et cetera, but when I was growing up, my dad had a very successful business, it was called actually Big Daddy TV and Hi-Fi, and up until age 8, 15, when actually he lost everything, I was probably pretty complacent. And I wasn't really thinking about what I wanted to do. I was just enjoying being a young person. And I probably thought I was going to tap into the family business, but when he lost everything at age 15, it was like an aha moment. Oh boy, OK, now we've got to fend for ourselves. And, and I think my biggest motivator, which I've shared often, is that I want to make sure my parents were taken care of. And that was my big drive. So at 15, everything shifted. So I basically, although I always played a lot of competitive sports, and I was on a tennis ride years ago, um, I then realized I want to really do well financially so I could take care of my family. And I think that was a big turning point for me in terms of how I shaped my future. I thought I
0: was gonna see my future. You were born and raised in Mississauga? I was, yes. I've been around these parts also for a lot of my life and uh, amazing to see how it's grown, right? Mississauga is, is its own empire. It really is Toronto 2.0 at this point and I only see it booming more into the future. It's incredible. I mean, way back in the day, you had all these farms and fields and you know, going to North Mississauga was real remote and yeah, it's changed dramatically. So, growing up, did you ever imagine that Sam McDaddy, the name, would become Sam McDaddy, the brand? You think of McDonald's, you think of Mercedes, you think of Apple as brands. Uh, people often ask me, you know, for myself, you know, why don't you become Corman's Cohen? And I said, as a law firm, and I said, you know what? Corman's is a brand for me at this point. You created a brand as Sam McDaddy Real Estate. At this point, Sam, you go off, if you're in Tahiti or wherever you are, you've created its own sustaining entity that is functioning. It's a living, breathing creature on itself. What's that feeling knowing that you're not just a person, but you're a brand at this point? Yeah, I mean, we're proud of what we've achieved.
1: I, I think when I first got into real estate, I didn't know what it was going to look like, but I was really happy to find a vacation I really enjoyed. And I always tell everybody today you know, don't think about the money, find your passion, right? And I actually did an MBA and I worked in corporate finance for a couple of years, but I really failed, felt stifled, didn't really feel that's where I should be. And I thought if I have to spend 40 years there, that's going to be really not a good life. And you have one shot at this, right? And I always tell people one life, it's not a dress rehearsal, this is it. So have mm-hmm. the courage to make change. So if you're unhappy, if you're not ready to make change, well, that's your fault, right? Because life was never promised to be easy, but if you have the ability to rise above, you'll succeed. And so when we started gaining some level of success in real estate, because when I first started, I didn't know anybody. I didn't have contacts. My family wasn't in the business, but I had hard work, determination, and drive, right? And I think those, and I want to work with honesty and integrity. And I think that was the key propelling feature because you can have one good year, but if you're doing it dishonestly, you're going to get, you know, you're going to be driven out of town real quick, right? So for us, we want to treat every client, you know, with honesty and integrity, which is our makeup. And if our team members don't have that, I mean, I'm okay if they make a mistake. I'm not okay if they don't have integrity because they're going to, you know, hurt our brand, which we worked really hard to build. So when we started gaining momentum, you know, I thought, you know, now it's time to really accelerate and build our brand. And I'll tell you one funny story. I was in Please. Brampton once. I was doing a deal. There's six, seven offers. And this was my early stages of real estate. And this one agent was so rude to me. And I'm like, I, like, believe you should treat everybody with respect and kindness. And, mm-hmm. you know, he was so disrespectful. And I thought, you know what? He's never going to forget my name. I'm going to build my brand so he never forgets it. So that's kind of like a moment where I thought I'm going to make sure people think of Sam McDaddy and, and synonymous with real estate. And of course, it took years to kind of, you know, grow to that level. But I think that was a bit of a starting point for us.
0: I've tried to speak before when I do uh, seminars and I'm talking to a lot of realtors or I talk to uh, real estate lawyers in the community and I tell them in my estimation, I'm going to break down relationships to something very, very simple, personal and professional. You'll you only need two things. If you do these two things, you'll always have a relationship. And to me, it's expectation and communication. If I, I do a lot of uh, relationships where they buy their first home together, and then they have a baby, and then they're upgrading their homes. I see the, the relationships that work. Unfortunately, sometimes I also see where relationships break down. They need to sell the house. Now each one is buying their own house. And I'm always noticing either they were not on the same page for expectation or they weren't communicating. And people kind of forget that. you think You're communicating so well, but if you're not on the same page of where you're headed, it's not going to go anywhere. But if you are on the same page of your goals, but you're not communicating about it, it's not going to go either. In your brand, in your workforce, in your personal professional life, you know, how big is expectation and communication for you? Oh,
1: it's everything. I mean, I think that's everything. I think communication on all aspects, all walks of life is vital, right? And I think that, you know, I, I agree with you. I think a lot of times breakdown happens because of that, right? And I think even in our world, be it personal, friends, working, the relationship, the communication piece is huge. It's huge.
0: And you are, you have a life filled with friends. Like it's amazing. Like I see generally from when you're sitting at a Raptors game or you're on television, uh, in your office, you really have friendships. You build those relationships. That's very important to you. Like you are genuine about people. You right away make eye contact. You shake people's hands. You're a genuine person. This is important to you clearly. And it reciprocates. You can feel that energy back from people, right? I believe so. And for me, I've had the good
1: fortune of building some really good relationships, and it happens organically. So even when I'm at the Raptor games, I don't force anything. If they come to me, they want to talk real estate, they will, but I'm not the person giving out my cards. I want it to happen organically, and I think that's very important.
0: I'm a 1,000% in agreement with you. You know, I was criticized before. People would tell me, I don't understand. You're friends with these people, but nobody's sending you business, so why are you friends with them? I tell them, it's not about that. I'm about relationships. I don't care about, I, you know, I need to make a living. I need to pay my bills. I get that. But I always said if I build relationships, that other stuff will take care of itself. You know, whenever I'm in a place, if I'm at a golf tournament, for example, or I'm at a dinner or a gala or something, when somebody's trying to sell something to you for the first time, people get very, very turned off from that. They move away. I'd rather get to know somebody and find out what their likes are, what their hobbies are, if they want to get to know me, that's up to them, but that's how I approach it. I think that's the right way to approach it. Yeah, and that's what I heavily tell people at the end of the day. If you're a young entrepreneur, you're a young professional, worry about the relationships. Don't worry about the rest. Don't be under pressure. It'll come. Now, from that end of it, learning, we're going to go into a little bit of fun. We're going to get into serious stuff, but also <laughs> sure, fun sure, stuff sure. as well. Because I'm as I'm talking to you, I see in the corner of my eye the tennis wall of fame, Okay. <laughs> Now, I thought I was passionate about tennis. I, that was my first sport. Started playing it from when I was about seven. Every summer, every day on the court, I was, I'll admit, like, I'm telling this open in the air. I'm, I don't have very much athletic ability. I was very bad. I'm very bad at anything I do first time. I only get there by lots of practice. I don't have the God-given gift. I know how to talk. I know how to write. But hand me any kind of bat, stick... Whatever, throw, it's not going to come naturally to me. I need to work really hard at it. And that's what I did. But I love the sport. To me, it's a sport of kings and queens. It's a beautiful game. The game within the game, I loved watching it back in the day, watching all the greats, you know, Agassi, Becker, Lendl, etc. And then I find out that Sam went to college on a (laughs) tennis scholarship in Louisiana, Nichols State. And your brother, Hayden, uh, was was a professional with uh, Team Canada, and now he's a senior VP at Tennis Canada. So tennis is running in your blood. Uh, How young were you when you picked up a tennis racket for the first time?
1: Yeah, it's interesting because we always play sports, and today's a little different because a lot of the kids there are just on their videos, etc. Back then, we were playing you know, ice hockey, road hockey, baseball, football, da-da-da. And my brother and I, just by chance one day, grabbed a couple tennis rackets, and we just fell in love with the sport. And... My brother's a couple years younger, so I think I was like 13. He was 11. I, I picked it up probably a little later than I should have to really go on to be, you know, a tennis pro, et cetera. But I probably logged more hours than myself. My brother would play every day, I think, for years, decades. Like We were all in. So I think they'd be – actually, athletics is really interesting because it really – if you can learn to compete and win, it actually shapes you for the future as well. And I think that really helped us a lot too. But, yeah, I became a big student, and I just couldn't get enough of tennis. I'd watch every tournament – I've had the good fortune of going to all the grand slams now and this in two weeks now when the national banks here, I'm, you know, obviously I've got seats there that are really nice and I'll probably take the week off and watch. And yeah, I still love the game very much. And I still play every day when I'm in Florida too. So, um, and I've had the good fortune through my brother and through Carl Hale to meet a lot of really, you know, iconic figures, you know, all the top players. And it's been a real blessing. And we were talking about earlier before coming on the air, Bianca was at the house yesterday cause we we're doing a few things and it was, you know, a lot of fun. So I'm, you know, blessed to have all those people and had that journey as well.
0: Bianca Andrescu, in case you're wondering who Bianca is, you know, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm meeting with a person, a promoter, and we're talking about wrestling. He's like, oh, Samoa Joe was at my house last night. I'm like, yeah, none of these people come to my house, but very nice <laughs> to know that they're going to somebody's house. So Bianca or Samoa Joe ever get bored, they want to come over, I'll let, them know, I'll let you know my address. They can come hang out. I'll make them an espresso, whatever Let's they like. Let's do it. <laughs> I'm going to ask you some controversial tennis questions sure, for them. Sure, sure. Number one. In my estimation, if I was going to fix the game of tennis the way I liked it, I think I love the athletic ability. I love where tennis has gone. You know, they're they're more athletic now than they ever were. You got performance centers. It's year-round training. It's a lot different than it was back in our day, you know. But if there's one thing I would go back to, I'd go back to wooden rackets. I feel like the equipment has gotten too good. Because if if I went to go face any right now top 100, top 150 uh, player, I'm not touching their serve. There's no chance. I have to start swinging the second that they throw the ball in the air. Uh, How do you feel about equipment? How do you feel about the state of tennis right now? Are you you think they're a good place? Would you make any tweaks to the game if you were a commissioner of it right now?
1: Uh, Yeah, it's a good question. So, it's one of the things you can't really do today. Is compare eras, right? Because we talk about Laver and Borg, and they're playing with a wooden racket, and the sweet spot was this versus this. I mean, it's a completely different game. Yeah. Um, I think it's gonna be really hard to go back now, though, because I think people are used to 130, 40 mile hour serves, um, etc. But I do. That's why I probably like watching more the clay court uh, season because you get more rallies and the surface is a little slower. But I'll tell you, I was talking to Carl Hale today, the tournament director of National Bank, and. We're very good friends, and he said, even though Novak pulled out today, because I it, we kind of knew he, he was considering that, yeah. um, the ticket sales have never been better. So tennis is not a great, great place, because you think about it, the top three are, are probably, well, two are pretty much, Roger has officially retired, Rafa yeah. is probably a year from retiring, uh, who I love immensely, and he's had a great career, and Novak's probably got a year or two, He still worked really hard in his body with all the yoga and everything else, so he's you know now the Grand Slam champ, but with those three still kind of now leaving, I mean, you've got some great people emerging, Carlos Alcaraz, and you've got Holger Runa. And so you, tennis is always going to be Every time we thought, hey, what's going to happen? Who's going to replace these guys? Bore, Connor, McEnroe. Who's going to replace them? Well, along comes Agassi and Sampras. And now you've got the big three that dominated for 20 years. This
0: is the first time in 20 years that one of the big three won't be at the National Bank Open, right? which is crazy. Two decades. Now... What kind of player were you out on the court? Were you the yelling kind on every little <laughs> shot? Were you the calm kind? Were you more McEnroe? Were you more Federer? What was your style on the court? I, I know my style for sure. You, you did not want to see me before yoga, by the way. <laughs> I didn't take up yoga till in my 20s, but I was a McEnroe. Like, I broke so many rackets, getting out of frustration, but I was not frustrated with the other players. I wasn't frustrated with whoever was officiating for us. I was with myself. That's it. And when I saved up enough money to buy myself my dream racket, I was always a Prince guy. And they came, remember those, the first oversized, like the really yeah, of oversized head did. ones? Of course, I played with them. Still got my first. Yeah, it's bat- actually a great racket. Love that racket. Yeah. Yeah. This, this is like circa now, we're talking like <laughs> late 80s, maybe early 90s at best. I never smashed that racket. I never smashed another racket since. I had respect for the racket. I know how much I had to work to pay. For- You're working at $5 an hour at a supermarket and you save up enough money to buy your dream racket, you can't smash it. So I, I already started my process to yoga through that racket. It's funny enough. What was your choice of uh, rackets? And what oh, the- I- I- yeah.
1: Ironically, I think during, I'm playing with the Wilson now, but back in the day when I was um, competing and I was on a t- tennis ride, I had the same racket. Prince. I loved it. Yeah, it was my racket, my go-to for sure. And I, I don't think I got... I mean, I'd get mad sometimes for sure on the court, but I was more of a grunter. So every time I hit a ball, I would grunt, right? So sometimes people are like, why are you grunting so loud? So I was a bit of that. But uh, And interestingly, because if you look at guys like Federer, who really at the end was very... you know, I don't think he tossed the racket too many times. In his younger days, his parents said, if you're going to throw the racket, you're not playing tennis anymore. Mm-hmm. So he basically shaped up because he had a bit of a temper in his teenage days, right? And Rafa's the only guy, I would say... In two decades, I've been watching him play. He's never thrown his racket once, never once, which I have huge respect for that, because that's, yeah. I mean, I think he's got great fa- family values, et cetera. And I mean, having met him a few times. He's uh, probably one of the nicest guys, too. And interestingly, with Rafa, you talk to me on the tour, you say, who's the nicest guy? You don't talk about made for TV. You ask people who are the stringers, the transportation guys. They all say Rafa, Rafa, Rafa. So he was, a, and I think Alec Rez really seems like he's the same mold as well.
0: Does it not blow your mind a little bit t- when, when when Nadal's wearing his like $100,000, $150,000 uh, Millet watches? Uh, does, it, does it get you a little you nervous? Know, or yeah, are yeah. You- only except how <laughs> many sponsors It's okay.
1: <laughs> so, <laughs> otherwise, yeah, I mean, they're pretty, I mean, his is probably, because, you know, I end up, one of my dreams was to get one. I did buy one a few years ago, but yeah. um, he has one that's probably worth eight hundred thousand or a million dollars, right? So, but because he's sponsored, I think. But they're so light too, right? So, yeah, so it But I fun. wouldn't wear a watch to play tennis the last of the year. I wouldn't either. I'd bang yeah. it. I'd bang it yeah. in a second. Yeah, I'd be very nervous.
0: Now, finishing off on tennis. So, I have a really good friend of mine, another lawyer. He's in family law. I'm in real estate law. So we go for lunches and we talk about our various trades and we have our laughs. We're both also big lovers of tennis, and he, you know, belongs to his tennis club. He's got his tennis partners. He doesn't like me right now. And I'll tell you why he doesn't like me. Because I have moved over to the pickleball side of things, and I do both. And he's like, if you are a true tennis fan, don't talk to me about play- the we I was at his That's place funny. at Friday Harbor uh, just yesterday afternoon. He told me, do not talk to me about pickleball. Don't, don't play pickleball. I am never. Go- I don't wanna- it, it does not exist in this household. That word is forbidden. And I said to him, but you've never played it. You can love tennis and you can love pickleball at the same time. We can work together here. What's your take on pickleball?
1: It's really growing in popularity. I really haven't played it. I've watched it a little bit on TV. It looks like an interesting game, and I'm sure at some point I'll, I'll play. And I don't know if it's a conflict
0: for tennis diehards, but I, I'm sure I'll probably try it at some point. Well, you were mentioning that you are playing table tennis with uh, Bianca, right? Yes. So you're a big tennis table guy? I love playing table tennis. Yeah, it's fun. So if table tennis and tennis had a baby, it would be called pickleball. Okay. I had this idea at around 10 years old, believe it or not. I thought, what if we were going to play... Ping-pong style on a tennis court. I should have gone and done that. I'd probably be in Tahiti right now. <laughs> but I'm going to tell you, if you haven't done Fine. it, you got to get out there. I'm telling you, you're going to have the time of your life. You will will enjoy it. How long did it take for you to transition from tennis understanding the, the nuances? Very simple. You go get the equipment first and foremost. So it's sitting there. It's not difficult to get. Watch a couple of YouTube videos. I spent an hour watching pickleball tournaments. First, you watch a video on the rules. That takes about 15, 20 minutes. Talking about being in the kitchen, not in the kitchen. So you about being in certain boxes, not in certain boxes through. They have very styles, learning how the serving is, because it's a lot different. Everything's underhand. It's a lot of fun. And then actually watch pickleball matches and see what they did. I spent maybe two hours doing that. And my videographer Cole and I, we actually played pickleball together for the first time and we had a blast. So a So what do you prefer, tennis or pickleball today? If I had to pick one still, it's still tennis. tennis okay. It is tennis, just because I'm so I, I love the serving aspect. I love the long game. I, I just love power. I that's that's me, and I can't get that out in pickleball. You have to be very much more calculated. If you do not have a net game, pickleball is gonna be not fun. Okay. It takes a So <laughs> so I'm more of a power game, and it made me develop more of my net game. So I'm actually thankful to pickleball for that. Nice. Yeah. So definitely, t- definitely get out there. And, and, and which is a better workout? It's different. I mean, tennis is still a workout. This is yeah. it's 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 different. I actually twisted my ankle. I was too aggressive on pickleball. I actually pulled my ankle. I kept going though because there's no forfeiting here. So I did I did do that. Uh, once I was playing tennis with a, a realtor, a, a buddy of mine, and. I was one point away from finishing the match. He said, ah, "You know what? My ankle's bother me a little bit. I, I, we're going to have to cancel." Uh, one point. <laughs> come on. It's called turtling. <laughs> yeah, we never we, we never played against. Yeah, one point just lose that point and shake hands, right? So, was there a point when you were in college originally back in Nickel State, did you foresee did you think tennis was going to be a future or was this more of a passion hobby getting you through school? How did you see
1: it? Uh, no, I didn't think I was going to play professionally. I was fortunate enough to be able to pay for my education for my undergrad and I played number two in my school and number one in doubles, and our team was pretty heavy. Even though at the back then it was a Division Two school, the reason I went there is it was a really heavy, load, heavily loaded tennis uh, program. So number, they won the national championship and stuff. So all the players were coming from abroad. So we had people from Spain, Sweden, Australia, England. So it was, it was a lot of fun. But no, I didn't think I was going to play professionally. I just let's just get a, you know, enjoy this experience. You know, get my education and hopefully learn from this as well.
0: And Louisiana is a hotbed for uh, sports. They love their sports out there. Uh, one of my favorite baseball players, Will Clark, was playing for Louisiana right, State right, around right. the time that you would have been in college over there. Yeah. Because he played for San Fran, I think. Right? He played for San. He got drafted yeah, a great he got drafted by San Fran. Lefty. Correct. One of the sweetest swings in yeah, baseball. Yeah, great swing. Great swing. Uh, Steve uh, Carsey, we were talking about, the former baseball yeah. player. We do yeah. a, another podcast on baseball, and he yeah. almost went to school. He was talking about Louisiana. It's a lot of fun out there. Yeah. Different vibe than Ontario, Canada, I would say. It was interesting,
1: I was going down there, and I was 19 at the time. And, you know, I was everybody was saying hi, it was such a friendly environment. And when I'd come back in the summers, I'd be walking down the streets of Toronto saying hi to people, and they're like, what does he want from me? I'm like, just better to be friendly than not, right? So, I mean, the mindset in the south was really nice, especially in the university kind of, you know, arena, it was, it was a lot of fun. And for me, it was great growth the opportunities in terms of mental mindset. So I was doing a lot of reading back then about positivity and you know, books that really helped me shape the, for the future. And I think that was, you know, critical years for me. And I think if I was spending my time here in Canada, it would have been a different journey for me.
0: Now, segueing back to Nikki for a second, Nikki originally put us together because she said, you and Sam both have a little bit of things in common. One of them is your passion for health. Now, I'm looking at you, Sam, so I was unhappy about the outfit thing, but now I'm happy because I'm realizing that we bounced off of each other for our respective team logo colors. Right, right, right. But I'm sitting here. I'm 46 years old, turning yeah. 47 this yeah. year. I met you on the street. I would say, if I was to guess, 32 max. I don't know if you found the secret fountain of youth. If you have located, let me know. I need some of that water. <laughs> but did you buy a LeBron James rejuvenation chamber? And do you I sleep? do have that actually? Ironically, which we'll talk about. <laughs> which we will talk about. I had a feeling, <laughs> and and you're no stranger to ice baths too. I would guess. No, not at all. Every day.
1: Every day. Yeah, I'll talk about my routine in a few minutes for sure.
0: Yeah, well, one of the things, so let's jump in because uh, we were mentioning, I was talking to you off air that I have a book coming out in January. It's called The Bible 3.0, and it's a lifestyle guidebook written by a jubu. And where I'm talking about life systems and things that I did and, you know, systems that I preach, you know, it's not reinventing the wheel, but unfortunately most people are not doing that. Let's go back to basics for a second. So let's just pull it back for a moment because I'm always curious, somebody that I respect, somebody that I know that lives a healthy lifestyle, I'm always curious to see. I always ask them because I like to know their secrets where it's about. starting off first of all, water. So what would you say your water consumption in the day is? Yeah, it's probably about eight glasses a day, right? So okay. and I probably it's
1: interesting. For me, I usually have it more in the front end than the back end. but I have you know I do intermittent fasting now, so I started that two years ago and my first meal is 12 and I'll do 16 or 18. so I'll finish either at six or 8 p.m. So I do that every day. Um, and that's, you know, a few years ago, I had a different mindset. I really want to bulk up a lot, and I was probably 20, 30 pounds heavier, but I was eating eight, eight meals a day. And I thought, you know, it can't be that good for your digestive tract, all the above. Yeah. And as you get older, let's just be lean and mean. And I think that's kind of what I adopted in terms of my philosophy. But I started becoming a bit of a mini biohacker. I was I researched that all the time. You know, what's the key to longevity? There's guys like David St. Clair, who's a longevity expert and professor at Harvard, and he was the one who first started. I mean, I, there's many people, but he was the one I learned about intermittent fasting, and then we talk about most of the, you know, nutritionists who are kind of in the in the know, I mean, that's a cr- crucial, crucial piece as well, right? But I've got a red light bed now, which I use every day for 20 minutes. Um, I do a five-minute cold plunge at 33 degree weather every day, temperature, um, and I've got a class 4 laser for injuries, and I've got a hyperbaric chamber, which is the exact same one uh, LeBron has, right, which is of Vatera 320. But um, so to me, all those are extra little lifts to kind of just, you know, because I think at the end of the day, i really a big believer health is wealth, right? So you can have all the money in the world, but if you can't really enjoy a good quality of life, you really have nothing, right? So to me, I put more emphasis on health than anything else.
0: I, when I was a younger lawyer, I was speaking with one of my mentors. He was a senior partner. He was now, let's say, in his early to mid-70s, okay, and worth much, much money. He did very well in real estate with his clients, etc. Great. Very happy for him. I sat down with him. I'm much younger. I'm still... Barely new into the profession. And I said to him, I got an interesting question for you. He goes, what is it? I said, right now, if you could trade places with me, I get all your money. You get my little bit of money. I'm your age, you're my age, and you see what I do to take care of myself. What would you do? He said, I would do that deal in a second. So I look at him. I said, who's really wealthy then? And I left. And what I based myself is seeing... You know, I remember I had... One of the worst jobs I would think, I, I enjoyed it, I didn't love it, but when I look back and I look at it fondly, I was a parking lot attendant one summer. You know how you get yourself through school and you find all sorts of interesting jobs? So I'm working in a parking lot at all places, and there's three buildings. I have to mark off who's going into what building, so how much parking capacity each building is using at a time. It sounds fascinating, it ain't. <laughs> but wh- the memory that sticks the most to me are the people driving into work. And this is like, you see some people, 6 a.m., 7 a.m., 8 a.m., 9 a.m. The ones that are coming around 9.50, 9.20, they have a cup of coffee and they have the cigarette. But they're smoking and they're drinking in the same hand. But it's the smoking like this and drinking the coffee and the glazed look in their eyes. And I said to myself, this can't be good. They're starting off the morning already like this. How are the earlier ones, though? Were they better? So the ones that were coming at 6, 7 o'clock in the morning, raring to go. Like... Like they were like going to a boxing match. And and they left. What's the distinction? Why do you think that was? So I I, I could say I'm exactly like you because uh, as far as I don't have the chamber, etc. I don't do the cold plunges. But I also do a lot of research. I read a lot of stories and I try to see where people are at. I try to see what will inspire me. One of the things I noticed was a lot of heads of countries, heads of major corporations, they all have similar things in common. They're all up early in the morning. They all worked out already. They've already accomplished more in a day before you've even had breakfast for most people. That said to me, wow. Because a lot of my life I spent pressing the snooze, pressing the snooze, pressing the snooze, and just trying to delay, delay, delay. When I learned how to wake up early, get to a yoga class this morning. I was up early. Had my first uh, water before I would have any food. Took my dog for a walk. Cleared my mind. Went to see my personal trainer. Had a great session. Came pumped to see Sam because this is the mood I want to be in. And this I find when I have a great session with him or I have a nice hot yoga session, I, I, I have that energy. I have that glow. I have that feeling about me all day. And I let people know, you know, a lot of people wait till after work. You fill the whole day with work. You're tired. You're sluggish. The best time to go, apparently, for success is first thing in the morning. And it, the day just flows from there. Have you found the same thing?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So this morning, I already did my red, my cold, and today was an off day for training. But I had my masseur for ninety minutes, right? So and had a really nice you know, meal at twelve, not in the morning anymore. No more breakfasts for me. But yep. uh, yeah, so I feel. Very, if, and I think one of the key pieces we didn't talk about is a good quality sleep as well, right? So it was coming. True, yeah, that's really important. Me, it was so, coming. Yeah. One of the first things
0: yeah. when I talk about when I talk about the basic yeah. things, like if, if, if not talking now that people don't have to make a big financial commitment or anything. But if they want to start off some sort of regimen, first I ask them the water. The second question always is sleep. Good segue. How many hours of sleep does Sam McDaddy get on an average night? Seven to eight. Seven to eight. Yeah. yeah. I mean,
1: in the old days, I was probably sleeping or five or six or seven. But I felt like I need a little bit more, right? So mm-hmm. because of all
0: the things I do. And, you know, I to me, that works. So how about yourself? I'm now at seven or eight as well. Good. When I was in high school, yeah. when I was in when I was at Schulich doing my business degree, yeah. yeah. It was maybe three to four hours. I was on six, seven cups of coffee, no water whatsoever, and I was just going on adrenaline all the time. Now, I'm no doctor, Sam, but this is the way I see it. We have reserves within our body. Our reserves is what keeps us healthy. It gets us through. When you feel that, you know, you pull an all-nighter, right? And then you have more energy than you ever felt. You're like, wow, this is so great. I should just be doing this. I don't think that's real energy. I think that's pulling out of the reserves that are sitting there for the health. And by doing that, that's how you prematurely age. That's how you're pulling out your reserves, and that's how you get sick, and that's how you can die young. And that's the, that's the route I was on for a lot of my younger years because, oh, I'll sleep when I'm dead. But when you actually start to feel chest pains, when you start to not feel good about yourself, when you start to feel as like it's the burnout, it's hard to rebound back. It
1: is. It is. It is. Yeah. yeah. And uh, you, water for consumption for yourself?
0: so i use the water app so we talked about technology off camera sam and i were talking about how use of technology and being smart about it as far as staying on track and i use a lot of software because i don't want to retain things in my head i use the water reminder app there's all sorts of apps out there every time i i put water i, I fill up a cup i add enter it in. enter it in i try to drink at least two liters a day that's my goal depending on what day i'm at but i have also found now in the last two weeks I made it myself. I'm going to drink 500 milliliters. I'm going to drink two glasses before I eat any food. I want to wake up an hour earlier. I want to drink water slowly. I want to go for a walk. And I want to get ready for my day and then start the workout. And I found giving myself that extra hour has paid off big time. And what time do you go to bed? Most days now, I would say I start the shutdown process around 10. Yeah. Uh, TV, I try to be off by 9. And then 11 in bed, red, done. Yeah. I, one of the things I talk about in the book is the importance of actually having a bedtime routine. I think I actually sat with a psychologist and we mapped it out and we actually made a map, a brain map of my life. And we made what's called a waking up routine and make uh, uh, going to sleep routine. And everything from the second the eyes wake up to the time the eyes close, what happens? What food is consumed? What water is drank? what work is being done, what time we're getting to the office. We actually made a schedule and I was working off of a schedule like that for my routine to make it a reality. Because otherwise, if I was putting it to chance, it wasn't happening. Even now, Sam, I would tell you food-wise, I don't know how you do it. I actually decided from the routines that I made, the people I talked to, the only way it's gonna work is eating every three hours. And I know the night before what meals I wanna eat, what I want to consume at each of those meals and there's a game plan because if I leave my food to chance, bad habits are going to happen. Either I'm not going to eat or I'm going to gorge because I'm yeah. going to be hungry. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for yourself, like how did you find making the, the meals? Like I tried the in it fasting was well for a while. I was doing some uh, bodybuilding shows. It really works. I find it's really nice to cycle, like to challenge your body. You ever heard yeah. of that thing? As yes. soon as your body gets comfortable, yeah. now you need to reach, re-trigger it.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, I've been doing it for, I guess, coming on two years and... I've enjoyed it. There's times I feel hungry, <laughs> et cetera. Yeah. But, um, you know, and now, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's just a way of life. But I, I decided a few years ago, if I was going to get real serious about my health, that, you know, I want to really make sure I don't eat out very much these days because um, of the oils they use, etc. So mm-hmm. I've got a chef, and everything's organic, clean, and controlled, and I think that's been a big help for me. So it takes the guesswork out of it for me and the meal prep out of it as well, too. So Love it. And that's yeah. where
0: I tell people, you know, for a – For those that can do it, and and I've I've met people that, you know, have the means and choose not to spend money. And they say, you know, personal trainer costs money, and getting meals prepared costs money. And I said, well, you're not going to line your coffin with the money, so you might as well spend it because it's worth it. Because it's worth it because it's your own health. You know, how many people are on their deathbed saying, oh, I spent too much money on my health? (laughs) Never, right?
1: No, I think they regret not maybe doing things differently, right? And I think we want to learn from that as well.
0: And a lot of people have that haha moment. They just don't know how to listen to their gut. And that's where I got to ask you now. We're talking about health, but let's go over to the professional side of things. Uh, you were a realtor. Before you, before you opened up Sam McDaddy Real Estate, you were with Remax, I believe? Uh, yeah, I was with a, diff- a few different
1: brokerages. Yes. I think I started off with Home Life for about a year. Then I was with Sutton for quite a few years. And then Remax for about 14 years.
0: Okay, so you and you were in real estate about twenty years before you opened up your own shop. Correct. So many people talk about opening their own shop. Many people dream of doing, you know, opening their own business. Very few ever do it, and the ones that do it don't always succeed at it. It's a very challenging game. What you did, I would say, took a lot of guts. Uh, Don't know how much of it was planned or not planned. Walk me through the process as far as from. You know, having your client base, because when you're a realtor, you you work at a brokerage, but you're still independent. But what made, because I've heard other people talk about it. They're saying, you know what, it's not for me. I can't go run my own shop. I don't want to manage other people, other people's problems. You know, people turn over. I have to, there's a lot more responsibilities. I just want to sell houses, buy houses, help clients. I'm done with it. You're doing that plus that. What was the mindset to open up what became this empire that is Sam McDaddy real estate?
1: I appreciate the kind of words, but I, looking back, I had a difference of opinion with my broker at the time, and I'm ultra loyal, and unless somebody, does, unless somebody shows me a reason not to be, I, I'll be loyal forever, right? So, and it probably became a bit of a blessing, because that difference allowed me to look at different options, and um, I remember I said, okay, we're going to make a change, because I don't think our broker backed, backed me as they should have, um, and we were thinking first of getting a Remax franchise. And I remember at a, at a team meeting, and Remax was all in. They didn't want to lose us, et cetera. At a team meeting, I said, jokingly, how about McDaddy Real Estate? And they said, yeah, we're ready for that. We can do it. And I was, you know, we were kind of sold that we needed the red, white, and blue um, marketing brand. And it turned out that, and I'll share a story with you. So the team said, yeah, yeah, we want to do it. We want to do it. So I talked to a couple of really good friends. I said, "You, what do you think about McDaddy Real Estate versus staying with the Remax family? And he said, let me think about it for a day or two. A really good friend. And he said, I think it's time for you guys to do it. So with that in mind, I gave my broker five months' notice. Uh, I said, May 1st, 2012, or whatever the day was, uh, we're going to start a new shop, and I, whatever you want to tell the agents, I'm happy to support that because I don't want your business to be hurt. Because, um, you know, I was, you know, I guess, it was, it was going to shake up things a little bit before me leaving. So um, May 1st, we opened shop, and I was really excited, and we hired our team. It was a new kind of experience because we have to have deal secretaries, receptionists. You know, back then, we just had my own team within, but all the operational side was being dealt with. So day one, we're open, we're excited, we transfer all our listings, and from nine to 12, not one phone call. So I'm like, oh boy, maybe I miss Miss cued. I'm actually turning red, thinking, what am I gonna do now, da-da-da. And I get a call at 12 o'clock saying, listen, we apologize, the phone lines are down, but now you're up and running. <laughs> and we never looked back after that, right? But but it does take courage, it, it wasn't an easy step, but it was the right step for us. And you know, thinking back now, like, uh, yeah, honestly, we've got seven offices now, and there's nothing wrong with Remax's and Royal Pages, but there's still territories and grids. So the expansion possibilities would have been a little bit more restrictive, etc. cetera. So for us, I mean, having our own brand was really, really a big stepping stone for us to continue on the path. And Remax allowed people a few years before that to have their own sign identity. So it was no longer the traditional Remax signs, which I think from a Remax perspective, that was a mistake. Because when we made the overnight the midnight shift, so to speak, Um, we just went and put stickers on our old signs. It looked like, because we had already our branded signs anyway, so it wasn't like anybody even knew that we made a change. It was just business as usual. Our phone numbers were routed back to us. We already had our own numbers. So, um, But yeah, I think the journey's been great, and we're really happy. And I think for me, the biggest piece that we talked about earlier off-air is that a great team. That's the key piece. So that's why my love is selling. It's sales, marketing. It's not the administrative. So having a really good supporting
0: cast has made all the difference. Now I'm looking at the numbers here, and my eyes are coming out of their sockets as I'm seeing them. Over 5.5 billion in sales, over 11,000 homes. Am I am I reading that correctly? Uh, I, I believe that's correct. Wow! 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 I mean, you, you're a GDP of a country, basically. <laughs> that's in, it, it's incredible when when you see those kind of numbers and that. That takes a lot of accolade. That means there's a lot of folks in the community that trusted you, trusted the brand, trusted your agents with their biggest asset of their lives, you know, their home and buying, selling. That's that's a big honor. I mean, to be involved with that many people, that's not an accident. That's not a fluke when it comes to those numbers. Uh, it's got to be very humbling and very rewarding at the same time to know that you help that many people.
1: Yeah, it's been great, and and when you asked earlier on, I just wanted a career I was going to be happy with. I didn't know what it was going to look like at the end, but I knew I was going to get everything I had, and I think from my tennis training background that I was prepared to pay the price for success and the sacrifices that come with it, and a lot of people, you know, want that, but they're not ready to pay the price, and I remember talking to 8,000 realtors in Austin, Texas. Um, they had myself and somebody from the U.S. who had a high level of success, and I said, listen, I, I I'll share everything with you guys. I mean, there's no holds barred. I'll, I'll share everything I've done, but the question is, I hope you're not the person who takes all this in and Monday, Tuesday, you forget about it all. Let you be that one person who actually says, I'm going to do this and really make a change. Because really, that, that'd make me happy, right? Because most people, I mean, you go to these big seminars, rah-rah seminars, and they come out all enthused and energized. And by the end of the next week, they're back to their day-to-day, right? And like, that's, that you didn't accomplish what you're supposed to. You really have to make life, permanent life changes to really have success.
0: But you grow into this. And you develop this reputation. And now, you know, in my mind early on, it's the king of Mississauga. It's the king of luxury real estate. That's, those are two synonymous with Sam McDaddy is real estate is then Mississauga and luxury. And it, which is a really, really great branding to have and great image to have. I remember one day I'm driving through the Young and Eglinton corridor. What do I see there? But I see a sign coming soon. Sam McDaddy Real Estate. When I saw that, I said, oh, boy, we're taking over the world now. (laughs) You could have been satisfied in one territory, in one city, huge city, great reputation, hard enough as it is with so much competition there. Walk me through how to branch out, why to branch out, and how that feels now being in so many areas.
1: So interesting you had noted that luxury purse, et cetera. So when I started my career as a first-time bicycle, buyer specialist so I was dealing with properties that are 80 or hundred thousand dollars because the prices were much different and if I did a deal for three hundred thousand like that was over the top celebration because that was just a big number but at one point I said you know we, we've kind of captured the you know the lower mid price range but we should also leverage out to the high end because we have so much value-added services that I think we should also be part of that mix so we went on an aggressive marketing campaign and we actually I was farming, the whole south of Mississauga, 22,500. Every week, 22,500 flyers are going out, going out. And people were saying, well, yeah, we recognize him. He's more uptown. He's not really in South Mississauga. So I took my first listing as a loss leader. I said, I don't care if I make money on this. I just want to get my name out there. We were providing staging 20 years ago, which other people were not. I mean, we were kind of the forefront of actually not just doing a consultation, we're bringing furniture and accessories and you know, having pre-inspect. So we were really, we we're just list with us, list with us because of ABC, right? So. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people said, listen, that market, that's going to be tough to capture because there's some, you know, long established players there. You know, you just can't say that to us right? because our mind says, no, you tell us we can, we will. Right. So so within six months, we actually became number one in this in the luxury market, which is kind of unheard of. So when people say, oh, no, I don't want to farm that area. It's difficult. I said, listen, that's just a mindset. Like what stops you from being the next person? They maybe want some fresh new blood, young blood, different ideas. So. But if you already think that, you're not going to achieve. So to me, I was, so when you said that, it was kind of interesting. But same thing with real estate. We did such a good job in Mississauga. I thought, okay, naturally, we should go to Oakville because Oakville is an extension. And we're now a top couple of realtors in Oakville, right? So, and there's some really good realtors there. So then we said, well, you know, a lot of people come from Toronto to Mississauga, and we should also have the Toronto market. So, let's, so it kind of went from there to, so Young and Lawrence for us is going to be really exciting because I think... We're going to try and capture a lot of the uptown market, and I think we'll bring some, you know, different face and ideas and experiences. And I think we know how to do it. And so I tell people, listen, you can put me in any city in the world, give me one or two years, and I'll get that market, right? Because you know, it's not. Of course, it's great once you have it, because you know, as long as you do the right things, you retain it. And by the way, when you're at the top, I mean, people are always gun for you, so you have to be squeaky clean, do the right things. And I like GSP said something I never forgot when he, he was here. Talking That's George St Pierre people, by the way. I'm sorry, just yeah. in case. <laughs> so, not all of us are that close. Yeah, I'm to Sorry, him, sorry. But yes. so so he he said to me once something in which I really resonated. He goes, I don't really care what people think about me as long as I walk the straight and narrow. I care about my family and my good friends. Other people, how are they going to judge me if I gonna live my life worried about that? I won't have a happy existence because a lot of people aren't going to be like so you know kind how they view you. But as long as you know you're doing the right thing, I mean, you can't control that, right? You can control yourself, right? So, and I think that was a really important lesson for us. So for us, you know, we decide let's go everywhere. So we've got now seven offices and we own our real estate, which I love because we're also, you know, you've got the business model, you've got the real estate model. So it's all of the above makes sense, right? So,
0: And remember I was saying that uh, part of the show on The Chosen Life is people watching, understanding your life, how you went about it, Inevitably, when you hear one story, you know, people start thinking about their own stories, start reflecting. I can tell you every word you say, I just sitting here and I'm thinking about my story. And I'm thinking, wow, like, you know, where was I at? How did that work? And one of the things I didn't think about was because when I joined Corman's, it was a Mississauga law firm. Jerry Corman started in the 70s and it was known as a Mississauga law firm. Only issue is I come in and I'm based out of Toronto Vaughan area. So what did we do? We opened up fairly quickly an office at Bathurst and Lawrence. Because, and we're around that area because it's a corridor. You can't drive that area without driving on Bathurst. And sure enough, you're going to drive by us and we have signage because I wanted people to know we're a Toronto firm as well. And then we moved on to Markham and we're up in Cottage Country in Gravenhurst area. How many offices? So now we have four plus satellites. But the main thing is, is that people know, even like we talked about off air about going virtual and paperless because in this day and age with law firms, if you're doing it right, clients could be anywhere in the world. I could be anywhere in the world and I can sign people up the same way. We don't have to go to the boardroom and sign and take time off work or pull away from your family during dinner. You know, there was a one point Sam that I was a traveling roadshow. Like I was literally meeting people sometimes at 10 different locations. I'd have to go to meet at a Starbucks. I went to people's homes. We meet at boardrooms. I wasn't eating dinner till 10, 11 o'clock at night. And here's my son waiting for me and he's young and It was hard. And there were times I would bring him to appointments and he's lugging along and we're signing up and signing up and Daddy, let's go home, Daddy, let's go home. But now it's very easy. Now we can have dinner. I can pull away the computer. We can sign up very, very simply. But at the time when I first started at Corman's, I knew if I'm going to be Mississauga law firm, but I am a Toronto based lawyer, I'm not going to be I'm not going to have my client base very, very long. So I went from a different end, but I totally understand from that. Because at the end of the day, the reality is perception is reality. Exactly. And if every single piece of signage and everything is in one location, that's it. But that's not bad. For some people, that's very good. You know, there are, there are realtors that do a very good job that just function out of one condo building. They live in exactly. that condo building. Yep. They have every single listing in that building and they can make a living off one building. That's where, you know, also I told people before that as a lawyer, I very often get introduced through the realtor. So I, I appreciate that very much and then the referral. But I tell them the problem is when they come to do their next transaction, they're doing it with me, but they're not doing it with the same realtor. How often you see that? All the time. You do. All the time. Yeah. And, I, and I, I often ask the client, what happened? Was it yeah. a bad experience? Yeah. What was going on? Because I remember who came through where. They said to me, so I bought with them and I bought a condo in Toronto. Now I'm buying a house in Oakville. So I naturally went to an Oakville realtor and I, and so it wasn't because they had a bad experience necessarily. They just the perception was actually go to an Oakville realtor, and they did not. They had a captive audience. They had their client base, but they did not educate their clients what they can do, and they didn't do the follow-ups. And that's what scares me in sales. You know, again, if we're talking about sales, client service. I think that once a person's working, you know, it's not selling to them. Like I tell my clients all the time, oh. I also do wills and estates because guess what you're going to need a power of attorney you need a will it's good to when you're buying your home when you're having a baby when it's your last home you need to think about these things and it's a natural progression they're like oh thank you for offering that service if I was a realtor I would sure let people know I am in these territories I can help you anything you're doing in real estate give me a call I'm your person like back in the day Sam you know when we're looking back in the history books of the 50s 60s 70s 80s person had their professional, that was their professional, that was their lawyer, that was their realtor, that was dentist, and there was loyalty. We're sitting here in the year year 2023, it ain't the same anymore. People will change in a moment. And that's where I think that a lot of professionals don't realize if you don't build those relationships and you don't take care of them and nurture them, they'll be gone in a heartbeat.
1: Yeah, I 100% agree. So I think it's incumbent upon us to be in constant touch with our clients, etc. Because I'll tell our team members, oh, they just listed and sold somebody else. I said, when was the last time you talked to them? Oh, when they bought it. I said, they, 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 don't, they don't owe you loyalty. You need to be in constant communication and show them that you care. Because a lot of times people think, okay, I just did the transaction. Let's move on. That's not, it's, it's like Relationship building exactly bang on, right? And I think that's what people have to really aspire to think about doing on a day-in, day-out basis. Because at the end, really, you work so hard to get that client. So why do you let them walk out the back door? do everything you can to keep those clients. And there's so many things you can do to show that you care. And if you do that, and if you still do all the right things, and they decide they're going to go elsewhere, well, you know, I did everything I could. So if they decide to be not overly loyal, it it was, I don't feel bad. I feel bad because they did that, but I took the steps that shouldn't have been able to act that in that fashion.
0: Now let's talk reality, because being based in Toronto, GTA, Ontario, we're in a very competitive sphere. And realtors, lawyers, there's a lot of competition out there. There's lots of different people, professionals people can work with. When I look at your brokerage and I'm thinking about this, you have a lot of realtors that join the team. I, I I've read about the selection process. You don't just take anybody off the street. You're very very picky about who you work with. And on that same token of it, people know like a lot of realtors. I don't know which brokerage they're with. They may have been through five different brokerages and I just know the name, but I don't even know which brokerage they're with. When you're with Sam McDaddy, we know you're with Sam McDaddy. That's very very clear. What is the process to attract realtors? What is the, the process, you would say, of why clients pick your brokerage over so many others available to them?
1: We're not really ever actively looking for realtors. So they come and find us, right? So it's a little different model for us. And, and our brokerage is a little bit different in, in that we, it's really a team within a brokerage. It's not every person fence for themselves. So typical of brokerage, you join the brokerage, you, know, you find your own leads, you find your own way, etc. With us, it's completely different. I mean, we're, it's a team. So if somebody says, I want to join Sammy Daddy Real Estate, and I want to do my own thing and not be part of the team, well, that doesn't work for our model. So you're all part of the team, right? So, And I think with that comes camaraderie, synergy. Uh, we're doing brainstorming. We're masterminding. We're vacationing together. So it's like second family, and I think that's really important. So all of them have gone to my Florida house. We take them down, and we kind of make sure they get a really good first-class treatment and all the above. And we're building relationships. So just like we were building with clients, I'm building with my team as well to make sure they know that I really care about them, and I do, and I'd be there with them for them for anything, right? So, um, so I think that part. But when we do find people that want to join the team, and we get probably two or three applications daily, mm-hmm. and we just typically, you know, politely decline, saying, you know, we, you know, we appreciate your, you know, your interest in joining the brokerage. We're running at full capacity, but if somebody comes to us because they're referred to us, then we'll interview. And if I like what I hear, then I'll have what I call the quasi board of directors come in, three or four of the realtors. And they can ask any questions of one another so that they know what they're walking into. So that hopefully if we do decide to move forward on both sides, it's going to be a good fit, right? But we're not, if I want to be 500 strong as a, as a brokerage, I could be. But then it would dilute what I really want to do in our vision of how we want to run our brokerage.
0: And look, not everybody is prepared to do that model, right? Because a lot of people are chasing the almighty buck. Like yeah. you're leaving a lot of money on the table by not taking on certain applicants, but with your bigger vision of it, you know? And I, I respect that heavily. It's... Yeah. You know, you ever heard of that equation that uh, 10% of your problems are going to give you 90% of your headaches at the end of the day? Like, if you get like the, 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 the 10% worst people in your lives that are causing you all the stress and what be it, if they're gone, things will be much easier. I often ask other professionals, I said, think about this. Think about the teammates you pick to work with. Think about the clients you choose to work with. If you're just taking anybody and everybody and you know you see red flags ahead, you know, you see. Uh, as, as my therapist would say, the dark alley thoughts. You see the dark alleys, you know it's coming, but you're still prepared to go down that dark alley. Nothing good is going to come of it, but it's amazing me how many people are still prepared to go down those dark alleys because they're saying, maybe it will be different. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I can fix this. Why do you think people do that? Is it just pure greed or what is it? Or, or scared? Or I, I'm not really clear.
1: For me, I was very clear that you know, I want to align myself with really good quality people because there's a reflection of us It it's quality over quantity. And that was the key piece for us. It wasn't about just being this huge entity. And there's a lot of brokerages that have, you know, hundreds and hundreds of agents, but I mean, they're not productive. They might even get themselves in hot water because they don't know the business that well. Part-timers. And exactly. So they're not, because really this business is a full-time business, right? So do part-time, you're doing your client a disservice. But there within lies a rub. If your brother's are a realtor, he's part time. And if you don't list with him, Sunday dinners are very difficult. So you're almost compelled to or forced to list with somebody you may not want to, may not get you the best result. Um, so it's a bit of, a, you know, it's interesting because there's 70,000 realtors on the board, which is probably too many, right? I mean, that's a lot of realtors, right? So. Yeah, but
0: out of 70,000, probably 100 are doing all the deals. <laughs> like yeah, it feels like time, it's a time.
1: It's a pretty skewed curve, right? So, right. Yeah. But that's
0: where it is at the end of the day. Yeah. But it's how serious you're going to put into it. At the end of the day, you're going to get what you put into it. And I think. A lot of people go into real estate saying it's an easy business, don't have to do much, and I'm just the money's just gonna roll in. And I tell realtors all the time, you know, I have this debate all the time between myself, a realtor a mortgage broker, when we're discussing this, and I said the person who has the hardest job is the realtor because they're creating something out of nothing at the end of the day. Very often the realtor is referring to lawyer referring the mortgage broker, but it's the realtor that's creating that client out of nothing. And I have a lot of respect for that. So being able to do call calling, being able to Network, being able to find clients, that is a skill in itself. And again, it starts from our beginning of our conversation. It's relationships. It all comes down to relationships. Yeah. Uh, you have in your offices over 25 languages spoken? Yes. Wow. So it's the United Nations here basically.
1: <laughs> pretty much, pretty yeah. much.
0: So we're gonna talk about building relationships and communication. You you've obviously thought of that because how are you gonna be able to communicate if you don't understand the dialect? So there's very few dialects in the GTA area that you're not going to cover. Somebody will be able to work with them more exactly. than Exactly. So,
1: I, we, you know, we, we have the slogan, we speak your language. So if somebody comes to us and they're, they're just new to the country and they don't speak English very fluently and they speak Cantonese, Russian, German, Italian, Punjabi, whatever, we've got it all covered off. right? And it's been really advantageous. It's really worked well for us because we are, you know, we've understood and embraced the fact we're a multicultural city, right? So to ignore that would be a mistake
0: thousand percent. Now, bringing back to the relationship to GSP, so we're going to talk about a couple people now. You he knew, he knew he'd be on the list, so he's on the advertisements, right? Right. So he branded you the GOAT of GTA real estate. So first of all, uh, does, GSP, does GSP have to thank you for his fighting skills? Are you the one that's been in the <laughs> background, you know, was training him? Uh, I'm assuming you guys put some time in the gym together. What's the relationship with GSP like?
1: Uh, he's honestly the nicest guy. And so if you met him, which hopefully you guys will have a chance to meet him one day, um, he's just a guy next door. Like you wouldn't, no pretension about him. Very honest, very real, very vulnerable. So he tells us just like it is. And I, I honestly just, I love the guy. I mean, he's just a great guy. And, um, and he's very competitive. Like, and he's got a great mindset. And he instills all the same values we're talking about. right? I mean, from his, he said to me, I actually asked him one question, which was vital. I said, GSP, you left at the top of your craft, 10 years, you know, basically undefeated. How difficult was that? He goes, it was really difficult because, you know, but he goes, you can't play fighting, right? And that's exactly because he health was the most important thing to me. And I didn't want to, for, you know, forego that for one more fight or two. Now, truth be told, if he had the Khabib fight in front of me, he'd have taken it, right? So he said to me, he was doing a Montreal interview and Khabib was fighting. And they said, get ready, George. He's going to call you out. You're going to have this mega fight okay, one more fight, I'll do it. I guess this will be my last fight, da-da-da. Yeah. And then at the end of the fight, Khabib puts his gloves down. He goes, I'm retiring. Because his dad had passed away and da-da-da. So, so basically, that was it for him. And, that was his life. and he actually almost had a, a catchweight fight with uh, Anderson Silva, which had been really interesting in the, both of their primes. Because now, you know, da-da-da. But he's fighting uh, Maya in, in December. In December, yes. Yeah, a grappling oh. match. Yeah. So he said the same thing. as well, grappling, I really can't get hurt. Right, so because you know, I, otherwise I wouldn't, so, but yeah, so he's, but just a legendary person, and honestly, I mean, it's great to see what he's done, and really happy to have a bit of a friendship with him, and, you know, it's been great to have him over to my house a few times, and have a few meals, and just talk shopping, but what I liked most was how real he was, he was just a real human being, and to me, that was just incredible, and anybody, who, I've had my team members meet him, and some friends, and they were just like, this guy's just a, great, great person, right, so, and I think that's, because you can find fighters that are great fighters, but when they talk, there's not that much substance, and you're not mm-hmm. going to gain much from them, and then, mm-hmm. but you can actually talk to your speak for an hour and gain a lot of insight, which
0: is great. I thought there was a lot that went into it, because I'm thinking, you know, I know how much you love the world of sports, there's a lot of brand ambassadors you could have been working with, yeah. and people that you knew, it was interesting picking him, because to me, I feel like he's a hard worker, he's a fighter, and to me, it's like working together, He's fighting in the ring. He's fighting for me in real estate, and I feel like there's a subconscious element to that because I feel like it brings up the integrity that way. Like it, you it, talk about integrity, but also it's also there's muscle behind it, and I like that.
1: Yeah, no, it's great. I mean, we were very happy to have a, a partnership with this, well, for sure.
0: Now, talking about another partnership, but really like a brotherhood, is the guy sitting behind you as far as the poster, and that's the super fan Nav Bhatia. Right. Right. So, who introduced whom to basketball?
1: Oh, for sure. I mean, well, I've obviously was aware of basketball, but interestingly, we we've known each other for decades, and really? um, Nav and myself for a long, long time. We met years ago. He actually called me when he goes, "I've been seeing you around," and this is way talking maybe twenty years ago. He goes, um, "Let's come talk about what you're doing." So we came to the office just nonchalantly, and we introduced each other, and, and nothing happened for a little bit, and then, um, you know, we we started going. To, actually, I saw him at an event once, and then. He started inviting me to some Raptor games as his guest. Yes. And then when Damar was traded and Damar had the two seats beside him, Nav had the rights to them. He goes, Sam, I'm not sure what I'm going to do with these. Da-da-da. I had someone, somebody from the Dragon's Den wants them. I goes, Nav, I'll take those tickets. He goes, Sam, if you want to be there, they're yours. So that's how it started. And the first year we got the tickets, they won the championship. So, And when I first started going, I said, you know, I'm going to give some to clients. And I'll go to a few. And I was enjoying it so much. I said, you know what? I'm going to be selfish. I'm going to go enjoy all these games. I'm going to have a little time off, and this is kind of my retreat, and I've loved every minute of it. And I've developed some really good, meaningful friendships organically with the players and coaches, and um, we're actually going to be the – we'll make some special announcements soon, but about that too. So
0: Of course you will. Yeah. I don't remember <laughs> or not, but one day you were at a game, and you got an email of the back of your head, and I'm like, I'm seeing a couple rows behind you, and that was me. <laughs> and I'm sure you get those kind of emails all the time, right? <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, it's been great. Like, it's been really fun. Like, it's, you know, I mean, it's just an honor to be sitting beside the super fan who's just a legend. I mean, imagine a person who's got a, a championship ring, given it to him, and inducted into the Hall of Fame. Like, that's legendary, right? So, we go to places. I was at, we're going away end of August to watch the Worlds in Asia. We're going to be in Jakarta, and then, I think, um, the Philippines. Um, and we're at Edmonton watching them play the last qualifying game against Venezuela, and the lineup in Edmonton for pictures with Nav was, I, I it's like, a rock star. <laughs> it's I, w- like, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> I was like- literally
0: going to say, if, 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 if you're going to say second to meeting the Pope, it's almost like meeting Nav as far as his celebrity wise known as a super fan. And you know it's what? Incredible. He has that passion, his story as well, as far as rags to riches. And I always pictured either you bought a car from him <laughs> or he bought real estate through you. That's how I was sure that it happened.
1: Well, we've done a lot of real estate subsequent, but of uh, course, after we got so But other. the initial, but, yeah.
0: initially, was more just it just came to just together.
1: Mississauga guys coming together, and that was pretty much it.
0: I love it, I love it. And is his friend basically his R- brother
1: Rinku's a great friend of his, um, and he's been a big help. I mean, Rinku's an incredible marketing guy, and they've done great things together. I mean, he's gonna have Cal Penn, uh, play him in Hollywood, so imagine he's going to and now he's going to Hollywood, like it's crazy. So. Uh, they had a TV uh, series on him, a documentary for an hour. And it was a great series, talking over a great uh, episode, and I mean, talk about his whole life story, which is really inspiring too. And So we talk with inspiring people. I mean, here's a guy like Nav coming from India, with basically, and back then when now it's probably a little bit more accepted if you're uh, look a little different. But you know, coming into a job with a turban, I mean, he was laughed out, frowned upon. I mean, so his chances were very limited. Yet he still found his way to the top, and that's very respectful and admirable.
0: And how inspiring he is for his community. We're talking about chosen life. People that go through his community and saying, you know what? Uh, I, I'm a different culture. I wear a turban. That doesn't, that doesn't have to stop me. I can be any profession I want to be. And it's great to see that I always say gender, religion, culture, age. It doesn't matter at the end of the day. It's matters what's inside of you. And don't let any of that stop you. And very often, unfortunately, you know, whether it's family, teachers, somebody holds you back Many people don't have that confidence. If they have to learn that confidence. And by seeing others and hearing the stories like today you're coming on, may somebody be seeing that and saying, you know what? I don't know if I'm going to be doing that exactly, but I can do it. And I can learn that. And it's starting off. And where does it begin with, with uh, Sam? Loving yourself, respecting yourself, taking care of yourself. And then it's going to fly from there. I'm going to tell you, Sam McDaddy, if you're not looking after yourself health-wise the way you're saying it, you're not going to be sitting in this chair right now the way we are. I
1: agree full-heartedly. And, you know, everybody's journey is difficult and nobody's life is easy, but you just have to have the belief that you can get to where you want to be. And when I first started out, I, I mean, I had many times I could have just, I'm going to, you know, it's just not working. And many others would have quit. I mean, I had student debt, I had OSAP loans, I was living at home, and, you know, things were looking, it was difficult to kind of find your way. But I just was really determined, just like you are and the people who are succeeding. Anybody who succeeds at a high level, I always have huge respects. I mean, no... You know, they did something right and I want to learn from them. I'm always, you know, sometimes people unfortunately have the wrong emotions, fear or not fear and jealousy and all that's, that's, that's terrible emotions. So when I see somebody who succeeds, I want to, I'm proud of them. I want to learn more from them. And I think that's inspiring. So I think people should just have a, you know, anybody who succeeds, take that advantage to learn from those people. Because I think that's something that, you know, it's invaluable. It's invaluable.
0: People often ask me on a personal, they said, what do you consider your greatest accomplishment? And I tell them quite frankly. Usually, my son is with me. He's just he's turning 18 this year. I said, "This is my greatest accomplishment: watching him becoming a young man, an adult, watching him grow, finish high school, find his life, find his profession. He's in the automotive business. Actually, he works right beside Nav. Oh wow! In <laughs> Mississauga, near the Erinwood, uh, at Erinwood Ford there, Ford for and uh, also at the Direct Nissan. And yeah. uh, he's in that that business." And that is my greatest accomplishment, watching him from birth. And that's how I feel as a parent. And any of my accomplishments at the end of the day, it doesn't matter compared to my children. I know you're a big family man as well. And uh, I see that on social media. And I got to ask you, man, how do you find the time? You know, you're you're with Bianca and you're with Nav and you're all over the world and you're running this empire. Like, how then do you find the time as well? Like, it's amazing you find this balance. and That's beautiful that you're so close to family as well. You have one
1: life, you got to do it all, right? And I think you know you just why not right so sometimes people find reasons to say why i can't well why can't you right so i think to me life is a beautiful journey so i mean i'm so grateful for everything that's been given to us and i want to make the most of it and life does go by quick and i think covid also taught us something very valuable that you know i want to retire but you need challenges. Like if you're just sitting home all day long, you're gonna perish. I mean, you need. You know, it doesn't have to be financial. It could be a philanthropy. But you need to keep your mind engaged, and you need to be passionate. I think that's the biggest takeaway for for me. That anything people do it does, if they want to succeed, it has to come with passion from within. A
0: thousand percent. And life is very, very precious. One of my when I first started up the Chosen Life, I had a firefighter that was going to come on as uh, I believe episode number five, and he passed away two weeks before the taping, in his early 40s, and it really hit me hard. Uh, I was one of the last people that messaged him and it really put life in perspective and I, was, and I said to myself and I brought on his cousin, we talked about him, we had an honor, we had a show in his memory and I told myself he'd want me to get to the gym, he'd want me to fight harder, not give up, don't feel sorry for him and I heard that voice in my head and he still inspires me to this day. So from tragedy can come opportunity, it's all in your mindset. I tell people all the time, the situation is what it is. Just, exactly. The only thing that's going to change is how you look at it. Yeah at the end of the day. And from there, I know you're also, I know you're very modest about it, but we're going to have to bring it up. I'm sorry, Sam, is, as well, you're very active in the community, and charity is a very, very important thing to you. Uh, I have a close friend in Trillium, and I know you're very active with them, very highly considered. Uh, tell us about the work with Trillium, why you chose Trillium, and how the importance of giving back to the community.
1: Well, I, I believe if you're in a position where you can, you should, right? So and. Um, for me, of course, it's an extension of what we live in health, right? So we just, I mean, that's a big piece for all of us. So when we decided what were we were going to really get behind a lot, I mean, Trillium was the obvious answer for us because um, they're building a big new facility, the Queensway Hospital. They're, it's going to be a state of the art, So, and they need a certain amount of funding. So for us, that was uh, an easy decision in terms of where we want to get behind. Um, you know, I, we get approached quite often for different initiatives. and. And we always try and help. We always try and do something, right? Obviously, Trillium was a bigger piece because we we went all in with them and, you know, because we thought that was really important for us. But I think if somebody calls me and they'll say, Sam, my mom's got cancer and she needs da-da-da, I have no problem writing a check. Because I think, listen, if it can help them with their health and their journey. Now, if somebody says, listen, I want to travel because my kid wants to go to a baseball game. You know, it's not as high on the list for me, right? So, I mean, listen, if I know them, I'll help. But I think if something's more, if yeah, this is something where the help can really, money can really be of help, then that really resonates with me. So,
0: We all have our causes that are near, dear to our hurt. And very often it's something that, you know, may have happened to us or a loved one. And... It's important to support those knowing, especially like I've been to the Trillium system. I had my issues. They looked after me. I'm so grateful to them. So when I heard that you're a part of them, I am so fantastic because they are doing really great work. They are saving lives. They are helping people every day. And it's a hard existence, you know, the amount of people that come through the system and the wait times, et cetera. And they're working on that diligently. And my hat's off to the doctors, nurses, staff over Trillium. They are fantastic.
1: And especially during COVID. It was a very difficult period.
0: Absolutely. Now, as we're summing up today's episode, I had the two last questions. I told you I'm not going to be that easy on sure. you. And I think I've, I've I've thrown you a couple of curveballs today. I don't know how your baseball hitting is. So i got to ask you now from the side of Sam McDaddy Real Estate, Sam McDaddy. You can let us know a little bit. What is the game plan? What is the future for both?
1: Yeah, listen, personally, I... I tell my teammates I don't really ever want to retire I love what I do and I love my team they're an extension of the family they are the family part of my family. so I, I think I'll stay in real estate forever but um, and maybe not work in 30 years maybe not work quite as hard as today but still be in the field and space but I think for me all things real estate from a vocation perspective. So I love you know what we've done with our you know growth in terms of GTA you know at some point do we go a little bit more national you know that's something maybe kind of on the radar potentially maybe start doing some public speaking to help realtors as an option, development space, you know, start developing versus da-da-da. We're doing a bit of that. So so I think vocationally, I mean, I just love what I'm doing, and I think anything real estate is probably where I see myself for the foreseeable future. Um, and personally, I love the path I'm on right now with health and, you know, and having great family and friends and the whole bit. So just want to keep moving along and still hopefully play tennis in 20, 30 years, and we have to have a match and see – you know, with some wooden racket, see how we hold up.
0: <laughs> My friend, I don't know. It's uh, I feel like we go there. If I'm going to hit your server, I'm going to be happy. <laughs> and in another 30 years, I'll be happy if I'm holding a racket at that point. <laughs> but I will certainly try, certainly. Uh, do you remember the movie Eat, Pray, Love with Julie Roberts? Yes, uh, yes, yes. Do you remember that she went to go meet the wise man in Bali? I met the wise man in Bali. His name was Catette. It was quite a journey to meet him, but I had met him. What was the one thing he told me? He looked at my hand and his eyes came out of their sockets. I said, "What's What's wrong? He goes, you have the longest lifeline I've ever seen. You're going to live a long time. I looked at him. I said, it's been a pleasure meeting you. Take care. And I got out of there. That's all I needed to hear. That's amazing. So I hope Katut was right. I know he's not with us anymore, but he lived a wise life. And, you know, any kind of inspiration you can get, take it. So now I got to ask you now the real tough question. Sure. Sam McDaddy's sing today sitting Sam McDaddy from back to, remember, grade two, grade three, grade four, grade schools, grade seven, high school, whatever it being, if you can go to your younger self knowing all the life you lived, all the wisdom you've accumulated, what would you tell your younger self now?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. Early on, I think in high school, I, I mean, I lacked confidence. I didn't have that belief. And so I, I think for me, You know, the path I ended up embarking upon was perfect for me. But I think, you know, when you're young, you're very impressionable. And, you know, your teenage years, I mean, you're influenced by a lot of people. And I believe today, you know, which a lot of people, younger people, if they could just say, listen, be true to yourself, live the life you want to live. Don't be influenced by outside people, because if you're true to yourself, you'll have a happy, fulfilling life. And in turn, you can
0: give back to others. I love that. I love that. And I know your younger self would certainly appreciate that. Sam McDaddy, time is precious. It's the greatest gift we can give somebody because it's our most limited commodity. You've given that to me today, to the show, to the audience. Really appreciate you taking the time for us today. Ask the people to certainly send in their comments or questions for Sam. We will put your handle on social media so they can reach out to you as well. It's been an honor, my friend. Thank you so it's much. The has been mine. Thank you very much. And wishing you all the best on the growth of Sam McDaddy, the empire, the uh, Sam McDaddy real estate, and your wonderful person. Thank you. Thank you very much. Namaste.